Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome back to Off the Top. I am your host, Anthony Bonet, and joining me for this episode across the table from me is Rachel Peterson. Rachel, how are you? I am doing well, Anthony. Thank you for having me today. Excited to be here. Awesome. And then right next to her, also joining us, is Fernanda Atamirano. How you Hi, doing? Hi, everyone. So happy to be here. Awesome. Fernanda, I need, I need to thank you personally for having a really cool name that I can pronounce in a really cool way. Good to hear. Um, I actually have a nickname, Ferry, which I never know if to introduce myself as Ferry Altamirano or Fernanda Altamirano. Well, what do you prefer? We can go with whatever you want. Whatever you want. That That's not... I'm <laughs> tough with decisions. You know how bad I am in the subway line? Like, I don't know what I want on my sandwich, so I don't know what to what to call you. You can say Fernanda. Fernanda. Not a lot of people say the full name. Okay. Fernie. It's fine. It's fine. I'll, I'll compromise. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, thank you, uh, thank you guys for being here, and thank you, listeners and viewers, for tuning back into another episode. Um, can we just go over what do you guys do at the agency, Rachel? What do you guys do? What do you do? Yeah, so I am currently a media coordinator for the agency. Um, I've been part of the agency since my freshman year, where I actually started as an account supervisor. So it has been a long journey um, to get here, but primarily I do a lot more so of the back-end research, doing a lot of social listening. I've been able to work with exciting clients like Coke and Microsoft to more niche startup clients. Like we had a client, Volta, a few years ago. That was a lot of fun, a huge adventure. Um, and my most recent project has been hosting a fun event that agency hosts every year called Bramble. Super fun, um, big research study um, that we do every year um, and have the chance to produce a case study. So we just wrapped that, finished up our case study. Um, and that was super fun. Just a lot of event planning involved there. So I've done a little bit of it all, um, but it's been a wild ride and a good one for sure. Awesome. Fernanda, top that. Okay, now what do you do? I really can't because I'm a new hire here at the agency. So I got hired in November, but I really started in January as a strategist. Now I'm lead strategist of the research department. Uh, just closed up the account Carnival. That was really good mm -hmm. doing social listening. So also familiar <laughs> with that. Um, really exciting for what the next year is gonna gonna bring for us and the new clients that we're onboarding. So off the top as you all may know, is a podcast where students from the agency at UF discuss an eclectic set of topics for your and our entertainment and enrichment. Audio versions go up every other Friday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or you can watch the video version on YouTube if you want to see our faces as we talk to you. If you like hearing us in your ear holes, please make sure to like, give high ratings, subscribe, etc., etc. That is what keeps the mics and the lights on around here okay so now for the rest of the show all three of us came with topics that we want to talk about topics range anywhere from super serious to fun and silly uh, the way that we decide who will go first is i have this pack of dice from the hit game dungeons and dragons i used to be a big player in high school have you guys ever heard or played this game can't say i have I'm so sorry. <laughs> Only heard of it. Only heard of it. Well, okay, it doesn't matter. You don't need to know this to, to, to go where I'm going with this. But I have the the, the classic 20-sided die that we will all roll. And I keep changing the rules on how, who goes first or whatever, whatever. I'm just going to go with something simple. Whoever rolls the highest will go first. And then we go in descending order for who goes second, who goes last. Okay, so I'll go first. And then I'll pass it on to Rachel. Rachel, pass it on to Fernanda. Okay? Perfect. Alrighty. First roll here. <laughs> One. <laughs> I, think, I think we can beat that. <laughs> if, you, if you can't beat that, then I, I'd be surprised. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Solid tie. Fernanda just rolled. Fernanda rolled a... 12. A 12? That's considerably that's a, that's more than... That's a pretty good one. More than 50% there. <laughs> one <laughs> oh we have to fight we have yeah, to fight so now we have to roll again now okay yeah well no like we have to like fist fight for it oh i'm a first degree black belt in karate oh shit oh, <laughs> oh, never mind we're rolling we're rolling for it um uh, you can roll again Where, where'd it go okay roll again 20 i can't well i can tie it hold on i can tie it 
I didn't type it. Okay, so. <laughs> Sorry, I'm it is It is um, Rachel, Fernanda, and I. So, Rachel, you have okay. a topic. Please introduce us to your topic. Set the table. Yeah. So, today, I kind of just wanted to, I guess, bring to the table um, the idea of imposter syndrome. Um, just because, like, as I've kind of talked to not only, like, people in the agency, I actually remember I kind of first became aware of imposter syndrome through the agency because we were just all kind of talking about just like summer internships and everything um and one of my friends at that point this was back two or three years ago brought up the idea of like imposter syndrome and how it's kind of so easy for us to like just keep doing tasks and keep learning more but still feeling like we're not good enough and it was funny because up until that point I had been like feeling this way but just never had the terminology kind of like to go with it um so just a very like interesting topic that I've, as I've talked to like more people, not only peers in and out of the College of Journalism here, um, but just like even adults too. It's amazing how many, how much of the time people actually like struggle with this, if you even want to like say that, just because I think it's something that isn't necessarily like, I wouldn't call it like a mental illness, but it's just like, it's kind of a hurdle, I guess, through like education and everything um so like in preparation for this episode it was kind of fun just to like really dive into kind of the nitty-gritty and really recognize like this is something that is happening like a lot of the time but people just like don't know how to talk about it um so yeah I think just like especially as we are in kind of that peak internship job hunting season I don't know Fernando or Anthony if you guys have any like insight there just on the job internship hunt right now um because it's 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 a difficult one i hate it i just (laughs) finished that thank goodness um but nothing wrecks you like getting rejection after rejection um so yeah so i guess just kind of on that note just to give imposter syndrome a definition i actually watched um a ted talk they're amazing if you haven't been watching ted Ted talks Talks, yeah i love them they're a great way just to kind of get powerpoints um in there and i found that it actually has like some additional names some people might call it imposter phenomena and imposter experience um and it's first and foremost not a disease or abnormality um it's just kind of rooted in the idea of like kind of like i mentioned earlier like we're doing so much, we're striving to learn more. And it's kind of that repetitive circle of like, okay, like I'm doing all of this, but I still don't feel good enough. So what can I do more? What can I become kind of just like super like broad, but super deep in knowledge within. Um, And I know kind of just like in my own experience, even coming into the agency, I remember coming in as a freshman and then in my sophomore year, leading an account, kind of like you were saying earlier, Fernanda, just leading kind of carnival and feeling the imposter syndrome. I definitely felt that um, because it was like I was being handed these tasks like media pitches and other very industry niche things that I was just like, I don't even know what I'm doing. Like, how am I supposed to be delegating these and just kind of like doubting my worth really and wanting to gain knowledge there? That was kind of when I first um, felt this. Um, And really at the root of it all, kind of, I think what hit home for me is it's really imposter syndrome comes when people who might be highly accomplished tend to see um, others as being equally skilled or accomplished. And I think just even within the College of Journalism, as we see our friends and peers getting these internships with Warner Media and Coca-Cola, and um, I know for like some of our telecom friends like CNN and just some of the bigger um, producers in that field, it's hard because it's like, okay, I'm literally not getting any of these. All I'm getting is no. It's like, what am I doing wrong? Um, And that's definitely something that I felt. And it's just kind of like, you almost forget that you are so qualified. So like, just even like being involved in the CJC is something like so incredibly cool. And just like the resources we have here, I think that's something that like, I've just come to really realize is it's like you are qualified and that's even an affirmation I have to tell myself like time and time again is like just even fighting that like you might not be doing as much as somebody else but that doesn't mean you're not qualified and that's definitely been I think just a big benefit in fighting um imposter syndrome so yeah like I don't know Fernanda if you have any kind of experience or Anthony to tap in there excuse me but yeah that's kind of just been my experience and it's been cool to read other stories but yeah well I feel like the first time that I really 
I guess, kind of defined imposter mm-hmm. syndrome was college applications. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that yes. big one. That's a, yeah, that's where it, it kind of starts for a lot of people, I, I, you, know, in, you know, in high school. And so, yeah. So I feel like senior year was just kind of an isolating time where everyone is just kind of gatekeeping their journey of applying to university and suddenly getting into all these big name schools. And you're like, how do you get there? How do I myself like from the things that I've done? Why am I not achieving the same things with that? So some friends of mine that have gotten into the Ivy League for then me getting into the Ivy of Florida. I didn't really feel that I was as accomplished as them, but I went to the same schools. I went to the same club activities. Yeah. It wasn't like, of course, I deserved to go to like a top school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why do you when it comes to to kind of hone in on some of your personal experience there? What do you think separated? What do you think the Ivy League saw in the people who who got accepted into there that they didn't see uh, in you? I feel like there was definitely a different drive uh-huh. in those indi- individuals. Like I'm speaking specifically to a friend that went to Yale and Cornell. Both of them had these very specific uh, niche interests that they were able to hone in on during their senior year. And I feel like they focused on, whereas I, my senior year, was very open to a lot of things. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. So then it was definitely like something on me where maybe I didn't try hard enough. Maybe I haven't found mm. my thing yet. So the imposter syndrome was also like, okay, but do I even deserve to have imposter syndrome? It's like a very layered yes. thing. No, yeah, I completely get where you're coming from. And now like even thinking back, I think just when we, cause I think just as creatives in general, there's a very like multifaceted nature we all carry where it's like, we kind of want to touch it all and do it all. Mm. And it's not like that drive and that focus, um, which I don't think it helps at all just with our imposter syndrome. Yeah, I think, I think, because uh, I'd like to put a little bit of a different slant on, on imposter syndrome um, because uh, it's often brought up in, in negative terms and, yes. and often, yeah, it can't be negative. It can't be debilitating for somebody, to, for you to constantly think you're not good enough because confidence is a big part of people who uh, find success in their lives. But at the same time, just a little bit, like I've found in my experience, just a little bit of imposter syndrome, just, just a drop, just a pinch, you know, it, it's allowed me to not be complacent That's you know, true. with, with, with uh, just who I am and yeah. what my qualifications are and things like that. So in the, in the example of getting into, into colleges and things like that, um, looking back i mean at the time i did not think like this i was not i was much less mature uh in in high school so i i applied to harvard kind of as a as a meme you know, just like, oh can i get in oh, i wonder if i can get in you know Same. <laughs> <laughs> did either of you get in no <laughs> i got deferred <laughs> you got deferred yeah oh okay that's but a, like i didn't get in but that's more yeah. but that's more that's I, I got I, I got <laughs> yeah that's one step closer you know they at least gave you a second look i think you know, after my I got after my interview, they're like, no, no thanks, not at all. Um, the interview I, was funny. <laughs> I got I actually got there late to my interview, which probably didn't help. No. <laughs> so <laughs> that that probably didn't help. Uh, but yeah, in getting into into colleges, looking back on it, like okay, what did I have? And then that's why I asked you this because okay, what did what do what was I missing that somebody else who got into an Ivy League school didn't mm-hmm. have? And I would say the exact same thing that you said, like a certain drive. Because I remember in the application for Harvard, one of the things that they asked about was a portfolio. A portfolio. I didn't even know what a portfolio was. Mm-hmm. Like, what? Yeah. I don't have anything like that. What? And and I came to realize that, man, the kind of people who get in to top schools like this are people who are fixated on reaching this goal from a really early age. Yeah. You know, and it's either something that they're born with or something that's instilled in them through how they're raised or mm-hmm. the kind of culture that they're around. And so when when I'm when I'm dealing with imposter syndrome, to me, it's like, OK, um, it gives me a sort of goal in mind that I need to be focused on. And it allows me it keeps me from not putting in enough effort, yeah. resting on my lord. It allows a lot of growth. 
I feel like if you can kind of control imposter syndrome to kind of, like you said, Anthony, not stay complacent, but continue growing. Um, I think it's almost when it kind of causes again, that fear factor of, I don't want to do this just because I'm not good enough. But I think when it can kind of be the motivator behind, okay, I want to learn more because like, I want to learn more. And interestingly enough, like I actually learned through the Ted talk as well, that, um, imposter syndrome was actually first studied by psychologists in female college students. And it's now been transferred across genders, a various, um, array of demographics, socioeconomic status to kind of see how that may all play in um and ultimately like studies have shown i mean kind of common sense here it would seem um but that even undergraduate students so like literally our demographic while receiving high grades in school actually did not they felt like they didn't deserve a spot to be there so i think it's just interesting too to think to the whole kind of yale discussion too of like how you were saying anthony like for so many people that has been the goal and it's like once you reach that goal where do you go from there? Mm-hmm. So I think to your point too, like there's a healthy level of imposter syndrome, but it's like, how do we balance that? Um, Cause even Albert yeah. Einstein yeah. struggled with imposter syndrome, it's a, it's a great believe it question. or not, because like he uh, is known to like have called himself an involuntary swindler who basically within that kind of terminology, he felt his work received the attention that it didn't deserve, which like to me that was mind boggling because I'm like Albert Einstein is a genius like across the board um and he even struggled with this um so yeah i think i really just like the point of like there's just a healthy level of imposter syndrome it's not a bad thing um depending on the way that you look at it um and i know definitely for me like speaking through going after going through now finishing up my fourth year here at the college of journalism getting ready to graduate like it definitely has come in seasons where i felt more qualified for certain things and then there's other things where i'm like am i qualified to be here but it's kind of just like again having kind of that um i'll get through it attitude allowing yourself to grow um and then continue to learn um So, yeah, and I think just like the biggest thing is just continuing to encourage others um, because the big takeaway that I've kind of taken as I've been looking at various studies and everything is I think just the biggest encouragement um, is not receiving positive feedback, but actually kind of being that more relational aspect. Like if you find out that somebody else might be struggling with like sharing from your honest experience of like, hey, like I struggle with that too. Um, just more based on relationship. Cause I think it's comforting to know that you aren't alone. Cause I think imposter syndrome is just something that nobody really talks about yet. We all face. Um, cause I know even my roommate and I, who she's in telecom and also graduating this year, she struggles a lot with like watching her friends do these amazing things, but she's just like, what am I doing that I should be doing? Um, so I think it's kind of a nature that we carry here as creatives, mm-hmm. but definitely helps to talk about. So like, I- I think, Sit down. Part, I think part of it is also like when I feel like when I've gotten to a place that I wanted to get to, it's kind of the phenomenon of the grass is always greener on the other side where I get somewhere, you know, in high school, people who were UF was like shining like Emerald City. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. It looks so shiny from the outside. And, the, and then, I, you know, then you get here and then humans adapt really quickly. So I, I get to UF and then UF goes from being the goal after high school to just being okay this is just where i am yeah i am now i'm not here yeah uh, and we complain about the day-to-day right? too yeah. it's like we forget about or it's like i hear you know I, I i i visit my high school when i go back home uh to speak with the students and try to you know like encourage them like i like to do that for my teachers uh, my old teachers and and it's funny seeing the kids like oh yeah i really want to get into uf and like yeah you know good luck yeah but you know it kind of sucks sometimes yeah <laughs> So, sorry, <laughs> sorry. <Yeah>. honesty <laughs> but then like oh but but we're here you know yeah. and and yeah you can't forget that no yeah you're you're here don't uh take yourself out of it for a little bit and say hey um no matter how it's feeling right now just remember the kind of accomplishment like look at the fact look, look at the fact sheet here you did all this you did yeah. all that you got to you got to uf you got the internship at your place you know you're leading the account like nobody else is doing mm-hmm. that but you yeah you know and so for anybody out there um, so part of the, part of the reason that, that we do this podcast is to, um, attract more people to try to apply to the agency and, and highlight the kind of people that are here so that we can show, Hey, you know, we're not just, you know, these really, 
uh, talented people that are on the other side of that big glass that's in Weimar when I walk <laughs> past it. No, we are like you as well. You know, like when you get here, yeah, there's people who feel like they're not good enough. There's people who are going through their own issues. So yeah, there's there's a, a great variety of of challenges that everybody faces. Yeah. Don't forget that. Don't don't think that you're unique in the challenges mm-hmm. that you face. You know, everybody's going through something. Talk to people. That's what yeah. we're here for. Yeah. 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 Step up, own it, do it, and carry yourself confidently. So yeah. Yeah. On that note, I mean, there's just it's very easy to learn yes. how to do things. People want you to ask questions and they want to answer them. Um, I feel like the the reframing um, imposter syndrome as like a challenge yeah. is so important, but also like there's just so much room to grow if you really yeah. find that motivation in yourself and okay, well, where can I create the opportunities for myself? Because even if there are like the systematic issues of, you know, some people just not having the same resources, not being able to like just simply getting into the agency, like there's all those resources that you get once you're in a certain space. But it's very easy to go talk to professors, Mm -hmm. talk to your peers, try to figure out one-on-one what you want and then eventually find what you need. Yeah, because imposter, the term imposter is so isolating, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you're you're an imposter, that means that you're different from everybody else and you're Mm -hmm. hidden from everybody else. So... Yeah, there is a there is a uh, negative connotation. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean that, that's a negative. Yeah. That's a negative yeah. word. So maybe the the key to fighting the bad form of imposter syndrome is connecting yourself with other people and yeah. not feeling feeling secluded. Yeah. from other people. Exactly. Almost recognizing that it's a shared struggle, and I think it's too interesting um, to really see where it comes to light. And I think it comes to light in a lot of leadership positions. Where then it's like you're not the one being delegated to, but you're kind of the one leading the charge. And I know I've had the opportunity to lead incredible teams, just like the Brand Bowl initiative that we um, discussed a little bit on earlier. And that was just a lot of like active applying of my acquired knowledge just through Mm -hmm. the agency, through coursework, people management, everything. And it was kind of I struggled with imposter syndrome within that, too. But again, like aiding using that to aid me and just kind of continuing to better my myself and fight those thoughts of like hey I don't deserve this while recognizing I do deserve this um because I think just even looking back now it's like nothing I've been given over the course of my time at UF has been without reason so it's like just again remind yourself that you are where you need to be and Fernanda I know you've had the opportunity to just kind of lead some things um during your time here at UF so would just kind of love to like hear a little bit more about that um and just kind of maybe how you've struggled how you've learned Mm -hmm. how you've grown um yeah yeah so I feel like your topic was such a great segue into mine Um, For anyone that doesn't know, I am the president of the Mexican-American Student Association here on campus. So we're also known as MASA or UF MASA. Definitely check us out on Instagram. Um, So being a part of MASA is also under this like larger branch of HSA or the Hispanic Student Association. And it's just one of the, I think we have 900 plus clubs here at the University (laughs) of Florida. So it's daunting you know to (laughs) first of all be a president and lead just like a a very small population in uf campus i'm not sure if the research has been updated yet but hispanics make up about 20 percent of us of the uf campus um that is i think the the second biggest population after um white people here um so that's about like ten thousand students and I don't know how many of those are Mexican, but I do know that like the population that comes to our events are probably between 40 and 70 people. Wow. That's, a big, that's a big draw. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big draw. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's been very uh, just a great journey for myself because of where I started. I started as just a little freshman coming mm-hmm. into UF, going to the club fair. I remember I, I created a PowerPoint of after going through all of the clubs in UF and saying like, which ones do I want to be a part of? And the list probably had like 50 clubs and then trying to narrow down the specific ones that I wanted to find. And the one that ended up interesting me the most, like at a tabling event was 
the Mexican-American Student Association because I was like, wow, I'm Mexican. Like, I might as well find my people. There's a good fit there. Yeah. <laughs> um, very relational, relatable. Yeah. And yeah. I grew up in Miami. So okay. lots of Cubans, lots of Venezuelans. Uh, Shout out Cubans. I'm Cuban. Yeah. <laughs> 305 forever. Oh, right. I was, um, I was born there, not raised there. I was born. Yeah. I was raised in Naples. Okay. Yeah. So just two hours away. Mm-hmm, pretty close. Um so Miami was just a very diverse, very Latin, Hispanic community, but I didn't really know many Mexicans growing up. So I was like, this is the place where I can find it. So I started as a general member. I unfortunately didn't go to that many meetings. Um, there was a couple of gen- general body meetings where I was able to have elote, learn about like specifically my um, my journey of being Mexican, whether I wanted to be Mexican-American, Mexican-American. Um, What's the difference between Mexican-American, no dash, and Mexican-American yeah. with a dash? So having Mexican space American is realizing that they're both separate entities that also work together. People find that adding the dash is like a false connection well, sometimes. It's like a blending. Right. Um, okay. When in reality, sometimes it's not really accepted that much, really choosing your own identity, whatever um, title that you want to go with. That's like a very personal thing. So definitely some people prefer the dash. Some people don't Um, even like Chicano, Chicanex, Mm -hmm. um, specifically like from the California region or like just around the the Texas area as well. Um, It's funny you bring up the thing about the uh, uh, choosing like kind of the, the label to identify Mm -hmm. with because my, uh, my dad, uh, my parents are both from Cuba and then they immigrated mm-hmm. here. Wow. And my, uh, my dad, uh, he loves this country so much that he really, he puts, he puts American first. Like he doesn't right. even call himself Cuban American so much as he just calls himself an American. Cause he's like completely bought in into, into the country, into the, into the values. He loves this place. He loves this place so much. And it's much the chagrin of my mom. Cause my mom would be like, what uh, hello you're cuban uh you were born in havana you weren't born here what what are you doing wearing those <laughs> that cowboy hat mm-hmm. and cowboy boots you're not a redneck what are you doing <laughs> my dad is like heavy like he listens to country mm-hmm. music like he has the truck That's he has the, so he has the chicken coop he's like all when i say all in he's all in and my dad's like no i'm american i'm american so yeah that the different people like to um uh, have different levels of, of identity that they mm-hmm. that they like to associate with so that's one of the things that i like about masa most that there's you realize all the different identities that come with being mexican and specifically the different intersectionalities with color of our skin um specifically whether we come from a city or a smaller town um we actually had a general body meeting last week uh wow. last one of the semester where we talked about mexican identity and where Dr. Cecilia Suarez, uh, who is our club advisor, spoke about her own journey, um, being born in Texas and being very Texan, proud of um, like being an American and surrounded with just a, a school of Mexican people. Her community was all Mexican, not really having to say that you're Mexican to go into Miami and people asking like, where are you from? Mm-hmm. No, but where are you really from? Yeah. You know? No, like actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah because we all speak spanish here but where's your spanish from exactly yeah it's funny miami's really miami's a really unique city it is because it's like it's i okay well i haven't been to many cities i haven't been to many places outside uh outside of florida but i i know that at least in florida miami's like it's is it it's kind of not it's kind of like a different country right when you go there because like there's more signs in spanish than there are in english it's interesting which is why the the whole Mexican identity topic is so interesting yeah. to me. Because for the most part, like, I say I'm from Miami, you know, because mm-hmm. yeah. it's like I was born there. Right. I was raised there and I didn't have too much Mexican influence. But then coming here and being like just a complete culture shock and being like, I this is nothing like Miami. I don't know where where you grew up. Yeah, well, I grew up in Minnesota. Okay. So, <laughs> very com- different. The complete far. other yes. side okay. of the country. Quite literally. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also Norwegian and Scandinavian. So, okay. very, just very different cultural experience. But, yeah. Okay. Awesome. awesome. Uh, how, how's the weather here compared to Minnesota? Yeah. 
It's very toasty. I moved down here um, in eighth grade. And I think just even for me, I think coming to a place now where it's like I was around very much people of like the same cultural backgrounds to even like moving down here and being exposed more to like the Latinx Hispanic cultures. I think it's been just like even a really cool growing opportunity for me. And I think just even like coming through college now and being exposed to organizations um, like um is it what's the abbreviation mexican-american oh masa yes okay (laughs) thank you fernanda um but yeah it's just like there's so many different stories which i think is so cool um that even i've learned and it's like there's so many different ways to own your own unique identity um but yeah ultimately anthony to answer your question definitely a big culture shock multiple levels coming down here but it's definitely been cool um and yeah now as i move up to georgia who knows but that'll be a whole new going all over the place experience i have have family who when they came cousins who when they came from cuba in the 80s they went they skipped miami no well well, they went to miami first but then they went to michigan michigan of all places like i can't believe they went from warm to like extreme cold because it is an arctic tundra up there they went from cuba to Miami to Grand Rapids like what that's like, a big jump like that's, that is mm-hmm. yeah hats off to them that takes a lot of bravery to to move away I was I uh I didn't I did an episode with uh with Cherry and uh Cherry Chick and uh-huh. she talked it's her about birthday happy birthday yeah. Cherry oh my god <laughs> when we're recording this happy yeah birthday. happy birthday Cherry and she was talking about how she moved you know her she moved from Hong Kong that's to here crazy. and like man people like that like like who who move to completely different places and yeah and it's a different, different temperature, different climate, yeah. different right. uh, language, different culture, different, different food, different, everything. Yeah. yeah. One of the things that's great. I, I love that you bring that up because one of the things that they say is like, man, I miss, I miss, you know, the, 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 the bogaita, the, yes. the, the, oh, mm. the, the rice, the beans, all that stuff. Like I love rice and beans. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like an authentic. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But for me, it's Midwestern hot dishes. Okay. So. Midwestern hot dishes. So basically it's casserole, but we call oh. it hot dish. So it's basically anything you bake in like a big glass, like eight by 10, okay. like tater tot hot dish. It's a lot of heavy, creamy gravy. <laughs> so again, a very different cultural <laughs> you know, experience. But still when you're warm in the cold. Exactly. Yeah. When you're in the cold, it makes sense. You need but a lot. Yeah. yeah you need exactly. a lot to fill you up and keep you warm. You the, really do. When the blizzards. Yeah. <laughs> literally negative 16. That was the coldest. Are there any Dairy Queens up there? Oh, Dairy, that's where Dairy Queen was founded. Oh, my God. <laughs> I can't imagine selling a Frosty to somebody in Minnesota when it's when it's freezing outside. I want to say I could be so wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure they closed a lot of the local Dairy Queens during the winter because it got so cold. So it would oh they'd be God. open like water parks from Memorial Day to like Labor Day oh my God. and then close them. Fernanda, in your experience so. moving from Miami to, to Gainesville, because we were just talking about food, uh, has has the food um, been any to your liking in Gainesville? Or is there something that you're missing here? It's been okay. I will say there's a couple of like good restaurants here and there where I, I got a little surprised. I'm like, okay, there's Do you want to shout little, them out? Yeah, please. I... Little pockets of culture. Um, I feel like Momo Yaki was one of the first restaurants that I went. I've heard good things about that. I can't remember what what type of food it was, but really good. It's uh, close to that CVS on 13th. Isn't it um, right by like the La Tienda? Mexican yes, by the Lark. Okay. Yes. In terms of Mexican food, can you recommend any any good ones here? Like, cause I really I'm looking for I'm not looking for Chipotle or uh-huh. I'm looking for Taco Bell. My hatred for Chipotle is well documented. Where, where is like the what's in your estimation what is the best that's that's around here if you ever had that um i have very bad memory so i have oh, to admit no. that i can't remember <laughs> off the top of my head but oh, there was this off the, top. off the top of my head oh but there was this one let's see if i can find it um this mexican restaurant um that i think i went like on a sunday morning or something and there was just a bunch of Mexican families there, like oh, eating breakfast. So I don't know if it was like after after mass or something, but yeah. it just definitely felt like very homey. Um, let's see. I went to um, 
there's that that Cuban uh, cafe Mia Pa. That's mm-hmm. uh, I was gonna ask you what yeah. your thoughts on that are. Yeah, I've been there. I've been there once, and uh, yeah, it felt authentically Cuban on the inside because. <laughs> the people the english speaking population was a minority mm-hmm. there right. like okay cool like the people there are speaking spanish like there's they take your orders in spanish great awesome so good good so far and the food was pretty good the food was pretty good um it was a little expensive which i guess they can get away with because there's not a lot of cuban food here so they're gonna right. they're gonna gouge you until you can uh you know and because there's no other competition um i had a, a frita do you, any of you know what that is i've seen them haven't tried one <laughs> yeah you never had one no frita is like a it's a burger that's um like cooked in this red sauce and then and then um they put um the the little like fried potato chips on there oh, like, like re- picnic is yes. that the brand yeah yeah I, th- yeah I think that's the brand okay yeah and then like they put like ketchup onions all that stuff together mm-hmm. and then and then like a, a roll of cuban bread uh like cuban Ooh, bread roll so good and they give it to you like that i'm getting hungry <laughs> okay i found the restaurant it's okay. called la pasadita la pasadita yes okay. okay i think it's a little far from campus um going down 13th but really good i don't know i feel it's very difficult like coming from miami such an international place like finding those like areas of like similarity to like your upbringing but like there's definitely there's niche pockets. groups that you yeah. can find but even then it's not the same yeah it's not the same like mia pa right. is good mia pa was good but it's just not the same like a frita from mia pa is not the same as a frita from el, el rey de la, de, de la frita like in miami next to yeah. presidente supermarket that would like oh right it's oh it's it's just so different el palacio de los jugos oh my god <laughs> dude what a staple i know una completa from sedano dude hit so hard versailles is on a really good weekend you know with your puppies uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and rachel's like yep not yeah not the log i need to visit miami I really <laughs> do. so and i'm an adventurous eater so like mm. any recommendations y'all have yes. send them my way so there's a there's a uh a part of leading an organization on uf uh that's you know the organizations like the administration side mm-hmm. um you know you have to go through some some regulation some red tape when it comes to sg mm-hmm. um before the podcast we were talking about any potential tea that you okay. could spill fetnanda because i know wow. i'm also uh an officer in the club as in, am i in another association <laughs> what club yeah. what club are you an officer for i am the operations and logistics coordinator for the mount retreat it's a weekend retreat for incoming freshmen so i basically plan the entire three days oh wow so we are all it's club lot. leaders here yeah. at uf very accomplished we must have <laughs> some great stories about mm-hmm. about, oh, uh, hey, about yes. some things so i mean fernando what a what what do you what do you got I think the craziest thing about imposter syndrome, like as being someone like in a student organization, is really the programming yes. of events. Because, I mean, setting up a party for like 50 people, ordering food, ordering prizes, um, something as simple as like a flag or a, ta- a table mat to put down. Like, yeah. you really have to kind of have your up. hands in a bunch of different places, and especially like being a leader. Um, I know that sometimes that sometimes I don't really prepare for meetings, but I know that I have to have everything listed in my mind, ready to take care of every single aspect. And learning how to delegate tasks, I feel, is such a so it's it's really helpful. Yeah, it's a skill. You mentioned delegating. My head started hurting immediately because I suck at delegating. I'm like, I got to make sure everything's done right. I get into everything. It's very difficult, but once you kind of learn how to manage it people can just do a better job and focus on the things that they need to be doing because if somebody doesn't know what they're doing that's really where like the imposter syndrome sets in and where you're like i i should be doing something my peers are doing something but i don't know yeah yeah and i feel like too it's also comes from like when you recognize the hard work it takes to get there but like even for me i know planning the retreat weekend it's like i slave over that for like a good month like getting the logistics everything worked out and then for everybody else it's just a matter of show up have a good time Mm -hmm. and i think like that kind of can feed into like the whole imposter syndrome too even like planning meetings and like ordering those placemats like they seem like such monotonous tasks and just like simple tasks but they're so important and i think that can kind of like yeah like you were saying fernanda the whole programming side is like really a beast in its own 
Um, but yeah, equally as important. It's because people don't see yes. that aspect mm. of the planning. Anyone who just has to show up as a volunteer, they're like, oh, like Rachel makes it look so easy. Yeah. Like she definitely didn't do <laughs> that part tears. of the work. Oh she didn't yeah. put in 30 hours of her, of her yeah. weekend into it. Yeah yeah so so much i mean just with this podcast alone like so so much goes into uh into this you know i gotta take this opportunity to shout out my great podcast team we got Mm -hmm. videographer angel sitting on the uh on the bench over here making sure that everything's going right if it wasn't for her if it wasn't for people like melissa who's been on the podcast michael who's been on the podcast um man this i don't know where this would be i'd i'd be like in my i'd be still in my closet recording fake podcasts on a headset you know (laughs) It takes it takes a village to get anything done. It really does. The journey matters. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's not just it's not just what what people see. It's it's yeah. there's so it's it's that iceberg. You know the iceberg yes. analogy. You see the iceberg, but below that there's it goes way far down. It goes way far down. You know I I have a question about like something something to just kind of think about. Who are the kind of people who feel imposter syndrome, or does everybody really feel imposter syndrome? Because and where I'm going with this is like people like like did Hitler feel imposter syndrome or did he feel like he was the right guy all along? You know, like where like did did these did people in history who who committed who were behind like who we think of like totalitarian dictators, people like that, people who are, you know, deemed as like hey, bad people, did bad people feel that they were imposters, like they weren't qualified? Or did they believe their own hype all along? Because I, I feel like they must have, right? Because there's that saying that like a villain always feels like they're the good guy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so, like were were they in like were they imposters? Did they did they feel like they weren't good enough? Is the human experience that common that it goes to people like that who did terrible things? Yeah. I think it goes into the drive that we were talking about earlier. I mean, if we're using Hitler as an example big I, I took it to the extreme because yep. I mean, you have to like i mean I, you have you kind of have to go to the extreme to like find the answers mm-hmm. that you're looking for sometimes and then work your way towards the middle i think when you're hitler and you have these i extremely strong ideologies that you have to stick to i feel like you just can't feel the imposter syndrome because yeah. you just you're gonna like fall off or something you're gonna make a mistake and yeah. he wasn't someone that like could afford mistakes yeah I kind of agree with that. And I think, too, he was so, like, Hitler is obviously an extreme example. But when somebody's willing to kind of take ownership of something and really fight for it, I think that's probably more so when they might not struggle with imposter syndrome. But I think it comes down to you're handed something that you feel like you don't, like, deserve or you're kind of almost Mm -hmm. like, whoa, like, how did I get here? Like, how did I become president of this organization? How did I happen to lead this team in the agency? How did I happen to start this podcast? Like, things like that where you're just handed something that maybe you've dreamt of doing and then all of a sudden it occurs where you don't even have to, like, think twice about it. It's kind of just like, oh my gosh, whoa, like, I I don't deserve this. It's kind of like you start to second guess yourself. Whereas I feel like if you kind of almost have that more self-starter, like I need to fight for this, um, there might not be as much imposter syndrome there. There might be a level of, of arrogance and narcissism that you have to have to not feel yeah imposter syndrome. Yeah. Like a threshold. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like there's, there's a point that you get to, you know, so yeah, like the, imposter syndrome might be what connects the sane people together like if you find somebody who has imposter syndrome then congrats like you're you're passing you're passing all like the right steps to be a decent human being you're normal you're you're more not normal because you know everybody has their quirks you're human you're human right like we can relate to you like Mm -hmm. okay good like you're humble you're humble you're not tasting yourself too much like you're not you have a you have a, a little bit more of a of a level head view. yes yeah. level head yes please <laughs> have a level head be fair be humble man oh uh, no so my topic i've been i've been interested in ever since ever since high school when i learned what political efficacy was in ap government um i've been interested in how people perceive the power that they have to affect change 
in in society or in corporations or whatever and with that comes uh like customer efficacy you know um political if political efficacy is believing that you have the power to affect change in your political environment then consumer efficacy has is you know believing that you have the power to affect change in a company or in the market um so i kind of want to explore this idea of do we think that customers have the kind of power to affect change because and and that presents itself in things like boycotts you know before you know um when you look back at things like, like the civil rights movement for example boycotts were and walkouts were a big part of their strategy to um, show that you know to, to get their message across to affect change in their environment um and do, are, is that still is that still effective in some of the research that I was doing for uh, for this podcast for this episode, I came across like a, a data point uh, that says, "Hey, 88% of consumers want companies to help them to make a difference." And this uh, this graph here, this is an article from Forbes.com. Um, the graph is: Do you think you, personal actions like donating, recycling, or buying ethically can make a real difference in the world? 51% say yes, they make a big difference. 45% feel that maybe they make some difference and the four percent the cynics think no they don't make much of a difference now this graph and this data kind of contrasts with some of the uh personal opinions that i've gotten like from friends and from other people and listening to other podcasts where they feel like no they'd have no efficacy at all so do you guys i want to open this up with like do you guys feel like you have any efficacy when it comes to affecting change with your buying decisions any initial thoughts <laughs> um i will say that i feel like so many factors have to go into play first of all the how large is this company that we're talking about because if we're talking about something like coca-cola who has had issues with um with supply chain with wages with specifically the countries that they're working with um i know government funding is always a huge thing for these companies like how much land yeah. they they take up in a in a smaller country and like the labor that they use from there i feel like it can be very overwhelming as a consumer to think oh i could have an effect on coca-cola um but eventually i think oh well i it would have to be a smaller country it, a company it would have to be someone who has those leaders that are willing to listen i feel like if there's not like a a face to the company that i can put to someone that's like has open ears and is willing to listen and give me the time then i don't really know if if the effect efficacy can will be successful yeah yeah i kind of agree with that point too fernanda i think just like really knowing the company at the core because obviously if that's where i struggled too with like me as one consumer like how much of a difference can i truly make just with my own purchasing habits but i think too it kind of comes down really to your own moral compass too i think that's a huge in like kind of what do you stand for personally because for some people you know purchasing from brands who are maybe more sustainable might make them feel better and for others you know it might be something else like animal rights or something like that um something that kind of jumped out to me i know as we were kind of starting to discuss this topic was with the whole like black lives matter and greater representation pushes for other minorities and kind of purchasing from brands that kind of fight for um just minorities are minority owned whether that be a black owned business a latinx owned business and just watching kind of the consumer shift that way as well as also corporate social responsibility so really looking at kind of like what are these businesses doing for these communities i know those are kind of two like i guess hot topics right now for consumers I will say though for like me personally like I haven't really been the best I guess consumer wise at just like purchasing from brands that are like fighting um for making a difference um but yeah because for me it's a lot of times just about where can I get the cheapest alternative <laughs> for this and I think as college students that's something we don't really have a lot to choose from so it's just more so like what's the most like bang for my buck if you will um so yeah but this is just this is an interesting approach for sure just something some more food for thought definitely yeah it's 
I'm glad that you bring the thing about uh, buying cheap because we're college mm. students. And yeah, I mean, price price plays a big deal uh, in in how and obviously in how consumers make their decisions. And, and how- it's interesting to me too because you talk about environmentally friendly products. Like those are automatically, I feel like twice. The mm-hmm. amount that I would pay for mm-hmm. something that might not be because it's recycled or whatnot. And it's just like, how am I going to afford this? Like, I want to, but... Yeah, it's it's difficult. Yeah. It's difficult, I think, for people to stick... I, well, no, I, I'm not going to say it like that because that's putting a lot of blame on on people. But I think just, just with how the way the market is set up, it's difficult to stick to morals when you're making buying decisions. Because if... If you're a college student and you want to buy a cheap t-shirt because, you know, like, whatever, your old t-shirt broke and then you need a new one, like, okay, you only have so much money, you're going on Amazon, yeah. and you see, okay, well, there's this one, there's, you can buy a, a plain uh, Nike t-shirt yeah. that um, a bunch of children probably slaved to make yeah. for, or you can buy another t-shirt that's like, oh, it's made in America, it's, you know, fair wages, everybody was treated fairly, and it's more expensive. Yeah. Like, well, shit. I want to. I want to support American Made, and I want to support uh, all the things that I agree with. But right now, I I need a cheap T-shirt. Yeah. I I'm sorry, my check hasn't come. My paycheck hasn't come in this week. I need I need a cheap, a cheap T-shirt right now. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard to to do that stuff. And yeah, I think you see a lot of people just kind of. I don't think a lot of people think about this, you know, exactly. because because you can't, you can't. You would be so distraught in 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 thinking about this kind of stuff. There's a lot of pressure on the consumer to be the one to make the right decisions because we have so many technologies at our disposal um, just to be able to compare prices, uh, to get coupon books. I think as a consumer in general, like they want to spend less. They don't have time to be comparing prices or looking for the best deals. Um, The people that need to buy cheap are the ones that really can't can't afford to be doing those boycotts or taking time out of their day to write letters to like mr target whoever he may be yes Um, (laughs) and like like it's not our job right you know to make those sustainability decisions to to check up on the wages that companies set for their workers um it's really like you know the government that should be setting those those wage minimums um the companies, the, the spokespeople. Um, when you first mentioned efficacy, I thought of Billie Eilish. Um, she actually only agreed to be a part of the Met Gala if they, um, if all designers like banned fur mm-hmm. from from the red carpet. So I feel like it's people with influence yes. that are able to make those decisions and also have time to make yes influence make those statements. And affluence exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's. The kind of the kind of things that we're talking about those are these are I mean these are first world problems right to right. to think to have the time to to think about such things and the time to worry about whether or not you're making the right decision whereas somebody else who's who's you know has a family is just trying to make ends meet like they 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 don't I mean they don't even they don't have they don't think about it because they can't think about it they don't mm-hmm. I mean they're not gonna no they're they're worried about what's right in front of them right you know which which i don't which no i don't begrudge that at all because you can only worry about what you have control over if you start worrying mm-hmm. about the things that you don't have control over then right. you know you're never gonna do it you're never gonna get anything done um but then for the people who want to try to buy better consume better make change I and mean, i i admire the this this uh this 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 population of people the 51 percent the 45 percent who think that their purchases make uh, differences to varying degrees but for me like as a gamer for example there's a there's a big trend in in the video game industry with uh with countries like china and saudi arabia who have very um stained human rights records you know um and and really um, you know, different types of ec- economies and, and ways that, that oppress their people. Um, China, of course, being communist. Like me as an anti-communist, vehemently anti-communist, I am afraid of the day that a company like Tencent, which is a, uh, a holding company in China that, that makes and buys studios, um, afraid of the day that they buy a company or a studio that makes a game that I like. 
because shit like i love this game but now all my money my money is in part going to funding a company that is an organ of the ccp shit you know so now what like do you know what what do i do what do i do now right because is does does my does me buying this game make that much of a difference does it you know do i just swallow that like and another example is i think probably like if we use anchor to to uh to distribute this podcast if tencent bought anchor or spotify which which does which does anchor now like any ad revenue that this podcast makes also goes to tencent to to uh to funding that kind of stuff so then what do we do as content creators on this i'd probably start i don't know maybe I, 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 and I'm, and I'm getting this from another podcast that I listen to that uses this same example. I start in the episode description, start saying, yeah, Taiwan is a country, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Subliminal messaging. Subliminal messages. <laughs> like every episode starts yeah. and end with Taiwan is a country and, um, free the Uyghurs. You know, like, <laughs> shoot, what do we, what yeah. do we do? Yeah. It's, it's a yeah. tough decision. It is. It is. I think consumers can have a say, but we really need i feel like the the company to kind of really define their values because a company is made from people Mm -hmm. like if you aren't focusing on on the needs of the people with like the lowest position like the cleaning people the interns like if you're not addressing their needs then like it's a lot to expect from your general consumer to tell you what they want you're saying it's it's unfair to to expect that from a consumer Yes, it is unfair. <laughs> yeah. I feel like company culture, too, is also very important in the way they portray that company culture, kind of like what you were mm-hmm. saying, Fernando, with the whole, like, how do they treat their bottom level employees to their top level executives? I feel like that's definitely also something worth considering just within the realm of customer um, efficacy and just everything and, like, purchasing habits because I think at the end of the day, like, people are people and you want to be buying from businesses who are supporting people across the board. So I think that's also an important angle to take with this, too. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting that you bring up that point because there is a lot of, like, we, we do get a lot of propaganda from corporations that that tell us yeah buy better buy better you know whatever and and you bring up a good point that you know if 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 somebody feels like their purchasing uh, decisions don't make much of a difference well is that really our fault no it's probably more your responsibility so why are you telling us to buy better when in reality you could probably be doing a little bit more yourself you could be doing some you know instead of telling consumers to buy better like stop hazing us into believing that Mm-hmm. into believing that that you know that will make a difference without your help if uh if a consumer doesn't think that they're that their buying decisions uh make too much of a difference and they feel like a little bit of an imposter syndrome with that well then maybe the solution is for companies to put their money where their mouth is yeah but then that's a tough ask like are oh, you gonna ask you're gonna ask investors to like risk their bottom line for Leaders step up. <laughs> Make more things in America. Yeah. Pay people fair wages. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. <laughs> I think it's really about the conversations. Yeah. Yeah. That that are allowed to be had, and that sounds like so general. Yeah. But like, if people are aware of the issues, then more people definitely talk about them. Yeah. But you really need those like key players. Yes. To learn about the issues because. I mean, if, if a CEO talks to like talks to their consumers face to face, there's like a loyalty That's that so is built that I think you mentioning the revolving door is like maybe there's less of a retention or less of, I don't know, loyalty to the consumer, like being a people pleaser as a company mm-hmm. um, that companies that nowadays aren't aren't really focusing their values yeah. on. They're just focusing yeah. on that percentage that doesn't really care of whatever happens They're like, oh, they don't care what I do, so I'll I'll just keep on doing what what works best for me financially. Yeah, we have to. There has to be a connection that's made mm-hmm. between between everybody. Right. You know, that has to. Big big companies can still make an effort to feel like they're closer to you, mm-hmm. that they're local, that that they that they're meeting you where you are, and that then together, like all the stakeholders coming together, we can do something. You know, because we we want we want to love Disney. 
want I mean, to we, feel special. We want to feel yes. special. We want to be. We want to feel heard. Mm-hmm. You know, uh-huh. we want to. You know, I, I think I'm sure. You know, we keep using Disney as an example, but, um, <laughs> but whatever X company, we grew up drinking Coca Cola and we grew up watching yeah. Disney and we grew up, you know, up doing a bunch of things. We want to be able to do the things that we love with with companies that we feel share our, our values. values. Yeah. 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 Enough said. Mic drop. <laughs> Mic drop. Yeah. So, if there are any CEOs, CMOs, shareholders, CFOs, CFOs, yeah. let's keep going down the list. CTOs. The entire C-suites. All yeah. the all the, the C-suite. C-suite. All, the entire C-suite. Put this podcast on on your next <laughs> on your next next executive meeting, next meeting with your shareholders. The internal Company. newsletter. Oh yes. yes, yes. Logs. Oh yeah. Put SEO. us everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Put, put us on your employees' ears and let's let's Free affect marketing. let's affect change together. <laughs> <laughs> Such a powerful statement. Oh my god. Uh, all right, y'all. Any any closing comments on this entire experience as we start heading out? We're going on hour 23 minutes right now how's this been it's been fun yeah i feel like we've covered a lot in an hour 23 but it's it's sweet to see how well it tied together you know we started talking about imposter syndrome and wound up with the social chain yes <laughs> so look at us go we yeah. we covered a lot of topics mm-hmm. and so we it's a these podcasts are always a ride because yeah. you go so many different places and that's why i love that's that's why I love podcasts so much because it's open ended. Like we don't have yeah. a script. Yeah, we have our computers open because yeah. we have some some points of research. Because you know we don't want to be speaking out of our asses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but you know like we're just bouncing off each other and and listen. We got to this great point at the end here. You know, use your voice. It matters. <laughs> yes. Everybody talks. Yeah. Everybody talks. You're not an imposter. You can make change. You matter. You matter. Nice. It- doesn't matter how how low you start you can get to the top as as the great drake once said started from the bottom now i'm here <laughs> doesn't matter where you start you can be you can be you can be at the top or just anywhere that you need to be to 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 affect change mm-hmm. y'all uh rachel you active on social media do you want people to follow you interact with you on there where can people find you yeah for sure i'm definitely most active on instagram um i can drop my handle it is at it's it's dot rachel r-a-c-h-e-l dot marie m-a-r-i-e because there are so many rachel petersons out there you know (laughs) we gotta get creative basic name but yeah at it's dot rachel dot marie so definitely give me a follow um and would love to just share more of my journey with you Fernanda, how about you? Um, also, most active on my Instagram. So that's at F-E-R-Y-A-L-T-A-M-I-R-A-N-O. The thing about having a cool last name is it's really long to spell. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible <Yes>. for SATs. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, no. Having to bubble all that in. I can't, yeah. I can't imagine. Like, you go through half your pencil. Before. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just glad Hispanics don't believe in middle names. <laughs> For that, real, dude. Yeah. I'm thankful for my middle name, but yeah. I I I I'm so glad I don't have a middle name. Yeah. Like it's more people ask, oh, do you have a middle name? Like, no. <gasps> Why? You don't have a middle, That's middle exactly name? Like, sorry, don't put your don't push your middle name culture on me just because <laughs> just because you're jealous that you don't have to deal with that. I don't know if you're I'm sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um also would love to promote um my club's different socials so you can find us on uf masa or uf masa on instagram we have our link tree you should be able to find us on all of our social channels and we actually just reached a thousand followers Yo! give a clap to that yeah. oh yeah nice awesome big yeah, milestone so fun. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. do you want to plug your um your club socials or? Yeah, yeah yeah you can definitely follow us at mount retreat on instagram it's literally at the mount retreat which um it is T-H-E, the M-O-U-N-T, Mount Retreat. So, yeah, the Mount Retreat, all one word. Um, it's great. I personally don't know how our Instagram is doing. Melissa Rodri- Rodriguez, actually, in the agency, Shout manages out. that one, yeah. too. So she's killing it there. But, yeah, it's a good time. Awesome. Yeah, well, I guess I'll go ahead and plug my clubs. Yeah, and stuff why not? As well. I mean, if, we're, if we're already doing it, yeah. So my club, Game Developers Association, we are on Instagram at UFGDA. We're also on Twitter at UFGDA. I also don't know how many followers we have, but... <laughs> 
you know, we're uh, we're getting there. Hopefully, one day we'll get we'll reach a thousand followers. And also, um, if you're interested in joining the club, there are no dues, there are no nothing. You're interested in game development, learning more, more whatever. Um, it's just a matter of joining our Discord. We have a Discord page, and the link to that Discord is in the bios of the Instagram and Twitter. So we'd love to have you. There's so many people in there, in industry professionals. Like it's it's popping off, popping off in there. Um, for myself personally, um, I'm not very active on Instagram, not very active on Twitter. I just kind of lurk in the shadows, but I do have a blog on medium that I have some things, uh, that I write on there sometimes maybe in the next year or so I'll update it with something new, but for the meantime, you can find that medium.com forward slash at Anthony Bonet. I have things on there, video uh, essays about video games and, um, some short stories that are interesting. And that's all I'll say about those short stories. Um, and I, I do game development and you can find my games at uh, anthony-bonet.itch.io for some of the games that I've made. Um, and for the agency, for the show, you can remember that you can find the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. If you want to like, comment, subscribe, rate five stars, uh, that would help us a lot to get discovered as we build an audience and try to connect with you know all the ceos of all the big corporations across the world Real social change. at disney at disney if you want to follow, give us a follow disney mickey mouse i know you got a phone <laughs> you can follow the agency itself on instagram twitter youtube tiktok at the agency at uf the agency at uf is our handle for all of our social accounts linkedin as well if you want to connect with us on there uh and we have a website. So if you're curious about seeing some case studies about our work that we've done with clients, you can head over to our, our website, theagency.jou.ufl.edu. That's again, theagency.jou.ufl.edu. These these websites, these EDU websites really get long in the tooth. Yeah, it's a yeah little bit, they really do. A little bit, a little bit much. But right, there we go. Train coming to a stop. Choo-choo. <laughs> Thank you, Anthony. Yeah, thanks, Anthony. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Angel, for for uh, for guiding us along and make sure the video is still recording. Everybody thanks, else, Angel. Out, everybody <laughs> else out there, stay safe. And until next time, see ya.